all of us together, we're asking for open hearts and open minds and open ears to know you more and to hear what you've got to say. And so would you help us, Lord, and speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, let me tell you what we're doing. We got 36 minutes to, to uh, before we're done, but we are studying the book of Acts, if you guys didn't know that already. We're studying the book of Acts, and what we've looked at is the story of, of what happened to the church of Jesus after Jesus stepped off this planet. Jesus promised that he'd give his Holy Spirit to his apostles, and that through the power of his Holy Spirit, that his apostles would revolutionize the world. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about that, how as the church was born one day, 3,000 people became a part of the church. The devil attacked. The people prayed. When they prayed, more Holy Spirit was poured out, and more people came to know Jesus, the power of Jesus. So we're continuing that story, this account. And if you guys remember, a couple weeks ago, we talked about uh, kind of a milestone in the history of the church. That up until Acts chapter 10, all of the people who were part of the church of Jesus were Jewish people. Either Jewish people or people who had become Jews. And then what we read about in Acts 10 was that Peter has a vision. And a guy named Cornelius has um, uh, a desire to know God. And God responds to him, brings Peter, and this is where we ended. So, so in chapter 10 of Acts... Last few verses, we're going to read this. Acts, Acts 10, chapter, chapter, verse 44. When Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit, is, as Peter's proclaiming to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Cornelius and his whole family who had gathered, the Holy Spirit comes upon them in power. And I'm just thinking, man, why didn't we have a videotape of that? See what happened. Because something was happening there that was visible. And the circumcised believers, that means the Jewish believers, there's a reason that they're called circumcised, the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. They were freaked out to see that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, even on those people that weren't Jews. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And then Peter said, this is review, guys. This is where we ended last week. Then Peter said, can anybody keep these people from being baptized with water? In other words, the Holy Spirit has come upon these Gentile people in power. Why don't we baptize? Can't we baptize them? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, and so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days. Well, that's where we ended. And when Peter asked, here's what I want you to think about. When Peter asked in verse 47, Acts 10, verse 47, if you put that up there, when Peter says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water, it's easy. You just read that and figure, well, that's a rhetorical question. It's like, well, of course they can. Of course they can be baptized with water. At least that's what it sounds like. But what we're going to find out today is that there's people who are thinking, no way. There's no way that people who are Gentiles, who are not Jewish, should be able to be baptized with water. So this is, that's, where we, that's where we ended last week. Let's, let's look at chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles, that is Cornelius and his family and other people, had received the word of God. So when Peter, who had preached to the Gentiles, when he went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers 
the judges, the Jewish believers, the people who were, who were Christians, who were also Jewish, criticized him. They attacked him. And they said, you went into the house of, an uns- of uncircumcised people and you ate with them? No way. What is wrong with you? Talk about discrimination. Talk about racism. Talk about prejudice. Verse 4. So Peter began to explain everything to them precisely as it had happened. And this is how it happened. And this was a review last week. And I want you guys to think really carefully why we get almost the same thing in chapter 11 that we had in chapter 10. But this is what he says. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds there. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure, unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time and said this, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and then it was pulled up into heaven again. Right then, right then, at that moment, three men who had been sent from Caesarea, from Cornelius' house, stopped at the house where I was staying. And the Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with him. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, told, as Peter says, told me I should go with him. These six brothers, so he's got six brothers with him in Jerusalem as he is explaining this. And he says, these six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Verse 15, Peter's still speaking. Peter says, as I begin to speak, to, to Cornelius' household, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us back at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave the same Spirit to them as he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Do you guys understand what Peter's stay, saying here? When the, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Now, here's the deal. You guys are zoning out because you're like, we already studied this. Sounds the same in chapter 11 that it was in chapter 10. Right? Okay. Why did Dr. Luke, who's writing this, and the Holy Spirit, who's inspired this, spends so much extra papyrus and ink writing down the same thing in chapter 11 that he wrote in chapter 10. And the reason is, is because this is crucial that people understand that it is not through obeying a bunch of laws that people are saved, but that all the failure to obey any law has been paid for by the blood of Jesus And so they're wondering, they're in Jerusalem, what has happened with Peter? What's he thinking? Okay, so here's my my job here. I'm sitting here reading this, thinking, what do I do with this when we just studied this last week? Well, there's something new here. And what it is, is that there is conflict happening here. And Douglas had asked me a few weeks ago, he's like, Steve, would you talk a little bit about conflict? Right? Didn't you ask me that? 
He asked me that. I'm like, this is, this is it. So once again, what we're seeing here in the church of Jesus that is exploding across the world within a few years after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, we're seeing that conflict in the church is raising its ugly head and trying to destroy the unity of God's people. But once again, conflict doesn't succeed. Okay, so we're talking about conflict, and I want you guys to, to learn something from here. When you guys think about conflict, what, well, first, just think here. In this conflict, there's two sides. I want you to think what brings about this conflict. Now, we're also going to talk about the resolution of this. But this conflict that, that occurs within the church, it starts in verse 1. So, guys, look at verse 1. Check this out. In verse 1, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles that also received the word of God. Okay, who heard what? The apostles and brothers heard what? They heard that those other people that they became that they've heard that they've heard received the word of God. Now, if you guys, I just want you to think about the, about the spectrum here. Have you guys been in situations where you found out that somebody has decided to follow Jesus with their life and you are so excited you can hardly breathe? And you've known people around you like that? When, I mean, think about when you decided to follow Jesus. Were there people around you who, who, who like they couldn't sleep for six days because they were so excited about what God had done in your life? And then you got other people over on the other side who somebody comes to the Lord and they say, Well, these guys were worse. They're like, that shouldn't be happening. They don't, it's not only that they don't care, they care and they wish that those people actually didn't know Jesus, hadn't come to Jesus. So that's the situation that we got here. Okay, how did they hear? Here's what I want you to think about. How did they hear that these Gentiles had received the word of God? According to, according to the verse 1 here. What's that? Okay. No, the apostles, it is the apostles and brothers. How did the apostles and the brothers in Jerusalem hear that the Gentiles had, had through the grapevine, exactly. Thank you. Through the grapevine. They heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from somebody, and they got part of the story. Think about this, guys. Did they have the whole story? No way. They got partial information. And here's what I want you guys to think about. The, the application for us at the Cornerstone. So many times, conflict happens in our discipleship houses or at the Cornerstone or in your parents' home or with your friends or at your work because somebody's got partial information. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. And, guys, we need to be really, really careful how we present information we need to be careful not to add anything or to subtract anything from what somebody did say or didn't say or what happened or what didn't happen. And I'll just tell you a funny, funny example of this. I was walking down the hallway at church, and I heard in the room somebody say, well, Steve said that we should date a lot of people all at once. <laughs> and I went over there, and I put my head in the, in the door, and I said, I don't think I said that. 
Now, what I did say is when you come to the cornerstone and you're looking for a wife, don't go down the line trying one, one person, the next person, the next person, the next person. Just make, put yourself in the middle of a community of friends, and you'll find a wife. That's what I said. But somehow they got twisted. Now, that was funny because I think they were, uh, maybe they knew I was in the hallway or something. I don't know what. Sometimes it's more serious than that. Sometimes it's more serious than that. Well, one of the guys that we took to Japan, I won't say how long ago, but the guy that we took to Japan what, uh, uh, a few times, and you know, he did good. But there were a few times that I had to have him sit says and like, hey, man, can you remember what we're trying to do here and get him, his mind back on track? So when he got back, and I don't remember what all those conversations were, but when he got back to the United States, his mom caught me at church one Sunday and, and, and kind of scolded me for having corrected her son. And what she told me that he said that I said was not exactly the right thing. So I, when I saw him, I said, buddy, you got to be careful with what you tell your mom. So the next Sunday at church, she got me again, and she said, my son told me that you want him to keep secrets from me. I just thought, oh, my goodness, I can't win here. Okay, but you guys know what I'm talking about. How many times do you hear something that's just partial information? It's not accurate information, guys. We need to be really careful to not misrepresent the story when we're telling what's happened. Okay, so we're the leaders. Here's my question for you. We're the leaders in Jerusalem here. Were they guilty of jumping to conclusions without knowing the full story. They were. And that's why how this conflict erupts. They jumped to conclusions before they knew the full story. Now, who were these leaders? Jesus' disciples, the guys who had been trained by Jesus. And who was the leader of this? Who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem? Peter... Peter had been a leader in the church, but who in the long run, after Peter, Peter really branches out and does ministry elsewhere. And the leader in Jerusalem is who? James. It's James. And there's a couple of guys named James. But the, but the James who becomes the leader in Jerusalem is James, later becomes known as James the Just, and he is Jesus' brother, at least half-brother. Okay, he's from the same family as Jesus. And he didn't, he didn't even follow Jesus until after Jesus was resurrected. And he is a great guy. Does anybody know what his nickname was from church history? James the Just, but his more nickname. Nope. I'm pointing at my legs because his, name, his, his nickname was Camel Knees because he spent so much time in prayer. Does anybody know how he died? Does anybody remember how he died? He died for standing for the truth of Jesus, that Jesus was the Messiah when they pushed him off the temple and then the guys below stoned him to death in about 64 A.D. So that's, a, that's probably something like 20 years after this is happening. Okay? Does that make sense, guys? So that's who we're talking about. He's the leader in Jerusalem, and he is the guy who really, he was a Jew. He was a, he was a true Jew. He, st he stood with the Mosaic Law. And he could imagine that people could be saved without following the Mosaic Law. That's, what, that's the mindset that he had. Now, let me ask you guys this. 
from this confrontation, from this interchange, interaction, this conflict, do you think James learned anything? I think he did. In fact, here's, what, here's what's exciting, is he writes in a letter, not too much after this, just a few years after this, he writes a letter that we call the book of James. And in the book of James, he writes these words. In fact, you should put them up here. James 1, 19. My dear brothers, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. What James is saying is, my dear brothers, let's not be people who jump quickly to conclusions without knowing all the facts. Do you think that maybe what happened in this conflict with Peter, another pillar in the church, that maybe he learned something about not jumping to conclusions? And if he learned that, we need to learn it too. His words are to us. Guys, we, want, we, we, we need to be people who handle conflict well. There's going to be disagreements. You know what? We need to be people who are quick to listen. That's what Mike and Stephanie were just talking about. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, slow to jump to conclusions and assume that somebody is in the wrong when they're not. Okay. You guys got that? So one of the reasons that there's conflict in the church in Jerusalem at this point is because of partial information, not knowing the f- all the facts. Okay. Also, there's another factor in this conflict. Another factor in this conflict is overvalued values. I don't know, if Scott, if you want to put these, these things up here, but first one was partial information. Second one was overvalued values. I mean, think about what, what is it that matters so much to James and the apostles in Jerusalem? Why do they care so much? They've worked hard to follow the law. The Mosaic law matters to them. They have lived their lives assuming that the Mosaic law was, the, was salvation. There's things in their heart that are so, so important. And as I think back over conflicts that I've been a part of, that I've, that I've been me- mediating even in the past week, so much of the conflicts that, uh, that we experience are the result of People having things that are so, so important to them. Where something is more important than someone. Where principles are more important than people. We just did Sam and Josh's wedding on Sunday. And I got to officiate that. Throw, the, throw that picture up here if you don't mind. I got a picture. Of that. Oops. Everybody turn sideways. Okay. Okay. So, um. Josh got his dream. Sam got her dream. Okay, at the wedding, the wedding was perfect. The wedding was so much fun. And nobody was upset that I could tell. But I've done lots of weddings. And sometimes it seems like almost, well, not all every wedding, but there's so often that there's a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or a, the mother of the bride, the father of the bride, or the, the wedding coordinator. Somebody's got some agenda that seems to be more important than getting these two married. And there's times where family members turn against each other over this kind of thing. And you think, you know what? We're going to get married. Who cares what color the cake is? 
Who cares what color the bridesmaid's dresses are? But people get upset about this because in their hearts, there are things that are so important to them, more important than people. You guys know what I'm talking about. So, guys, as, as we think about that, think about, think about what was important to James. Was, it, was the law important? Absolutely. But the law was not important as important as God's desire to re- reach the world. And so here's my question for you guys as you think about this, about conflict around us. Is there anything in your life that is so important to you that you are willing to let the body of Christ be divided if you could just have that thing? Do you guys understand my question? I mean, we got amazing community people here. We got great coffee. We got great smoke. We got a great building. We got great music. But you know what? We never want to get to the point where have the where the coffee is more important than the people that are standing right here waiting for the coffee. We never want to get to the point where we're more concerned about how the, how the music sounds than about the hearts of the people that are walking in here. Guys, there are things that are important, but we must not get our values messed up. Okay, and so many times when conflict happens, it's because our values are messed up. Okay. Partial info contributed to the conflict. Overvalued values contributed to the conflict. But there's something else here. The desire to be in control. I want you guys to listen to me. Part of the reason there was a conflict in Jerusalem was because the people who God had given control to, who Jesus had delegated authority to, were worried about losing that authority. Had the, had the authority not been given to the apostles in Jerusalem? Absolutely. The problem was they were worried about it. They were worried about losing the authority that they had been given. Guys, here's what I want you to think about. If God has delegated authority, if he's given authority to you or given responsibility to you over a certain area, don't try to force it. I think, I think parents make this mistake sometimes. Our parents, do parents have authority over their, over their kids? Absolutely. But do you know parents who spend their lives trying to prove that they have authority over their kids? And I just want to say, what are you trying to prove? The more you try to prove that you've got authority over, over your kids, the less control you end up having. And he, as, a, as a pastor, I've been a pastor for a long time. And there's always somebody who's trying to usurp authority or trying to, trying to take control of something. I am used to it. And the way I handle it is not worrying very much about it. I mean, it's like I'm not, wor- I'm not too worried about somebody who comes in. You know, if people will tell me, well, you know, he's trying, trying to change things. I, I'm not worried about it. Because the more I worry about it, the more it seems to become an issue. And the more I don't worry about it, here's the, the truth of the matter. I'm convinced that God has given me authority. I'm convinced that I'm here. I'm the guy in charge. I don't have to prove that to anybody. I don't have to worry that somebody's going to steal it from me. You know, I remember one time when I first started in ministry, and I was a singles pastor at Grace. This is 19 years ago. And one of the guys didn't like what I was doing. So we had a, we had a Saturday night singles ministry meeting. And he didn't like it. So he started, he said, we're going to have a singles meeting somewhere else. <laughs> so they met at La Isla Restaurant every Saturday night for about two weeks. 
and two or three people came to his um, meeting. And then finally he was like, you know what? I'm in the wrong. I'm sorry. I'm coming back. I'm like, come on, man. Okay. Did I have to prove my control? Did I have to prove my No. No, not at all. Okay. Here's what I, want, here's what I think is, is my advice for all of us. People of the cornerstone, people of God, God has given each of you a certain amount of responsibility, a certain amount of authority, and you don't have to fight for it. It's been given to you. There's always going to be people who come into your small group or come into your house, your discipleship houses, or come into your ministry event that you're doing, or come into the coffee shop and try to take over. But if God's given you the responsibility and authority, it's going to be clear. And you don't need to force it. You guys, you guys hear that? I hope that that frees some of you who I've seen wrestling with other people for, for authority. You don't have to do it. It's yours. Take your responsibility. And, and when people know their responsibility and know how much control they've been given and use that, and don't worry about the people that are trying to take it from them. And don't try to take it from other people. Our community, the ministry that God has given us works smoothly. It is wonderful. You guys know that in your homes. If you guys come from homes where, where there's headbutting, it's because your mom and dad don't know their role. If your mom knows her role and she's happy with it, and your dad knows his role and he's happy with it, guess what? Everybody's happy. It's when they don't know their roles and they try to take responsibility where they don't have responsibility that things get crazy. And you guys can attest to that because I know some of your stories. Okay. Think, I want you guys to think about the conflict going on in Jerusalem. First of all, it came because of partial information. Secondly, it came from overvalued values. Valuing things that they didn't value. Messed up, messed, messed up priorities. Thirdly, from trying to take control. Okay, the fourth thing is... Unfair accusations. Do you guys see verse 2? When Peter goes up to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers, the circumcised believers, criticized him. They attacked him and they said, you in the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay. You guys know what that's like? Have you guys ever been in that situation? Have you guys ever been in that situation? Has anybody not ever been in that situation or are you guys just sleeping? Okay. Who, I think every one of you has been in that situation where you're just trying to do the right thing, and instead of them saying, praise God, you did a great job, they're like, you jerk. <laughs> you guys know what that's like? We've all had this situation. Okay. What I want, I want, so we're going to talk about in the last few minutes is how do we handle that? How, do we, how should we handle situations like this? Okay. So first of all, guys, this, this is worth remembering. And this is part of what we do. This is a, a portion of what we've done in leadership training and how to respond to con conflicting situations. Okay, so first of all, what I want you guys to see is notice that Peter, you know, it, Peter goes to Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem and he doesn't avoid the people who are accusing him or attacking him. He's full of courage and he is determined to communicate clearly. Okay, so, so. Don't avoid the people who are attacking you. Don't avoid it. I got a situation right now with one of your parents, a parent in this in this room who I'm trying to communicate with, and he's he he'll send me a text every once in a while. Like, come and talk to me, man. 
What is the problem? Come and talk. I'm your brother in the Lord. What are you afraid of? Instead, send in a text from when he wants to. Guys, that's hard. Don't be like, don't be like that. You guys be like Peter. Even under attack, even, even in the face of people who don't understand what you're doing, don't be a coward. Okay, second thing. Notice that Peter doesn't defend himself. He explains, he gives an explanation, but his motivation in his explanation is not self-centered. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? You guys have never, you guys notice the knee-jerk reaction when somebody attacks you and are like, you jerk, what did you do that stupid thing for? And you're just like, I got to find some way to defend myself. And you either tell them how bad they are or you tell them how good you are in every other way. Peter isn't doing that. All Peter's doing is explaining. And he's explaining because he wants the truth to stand regardless of what they think of him. Are you guys with me? So I want to, you've heard me say it before. You don't have to defend yourself. And Peter doesn't defend himself here. In fact, do you guys remember that Peter wrote a book of the Bible? He wrote a couple of books of the Bible. And one of the most powerful responses to attack is written in 1 Peter 2.24. Let me put that up there. When they hurled their insults, speaking of Jesus, Jesus, what Peter says in 1 Peter 2 is that we need to make Jesus our example. When Jesus was attacked, he says, when they hurled their insults at him, Jesus didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to his Father who judges justly. Are you guys hearing me? Our example, and Peter's example, even at this point, even though he doesn't write the letter for another 25 years or so, Peter's example and our example is Jesus. Can you, can you put that up there? 1 Peter 2, 24. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Guys, you don't have to defend yourself. People, probably this week, there's going to be people in this room who get insults hurled at them, thrown at them. You jerk. Why don't you ever learn? Blah, 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 blah. And you know what? You don't have to retaliate. You set Jesus as your example, and you trust that the Lord is going to defend you. Here's my question for you in regards to this. Can you trust God to defend you? Or do you think that you need to steal God's job for him and do that yourself. If you will spend your energy defending other people, God will defend you. You don't have to do it for yourself. Okay. So, so Peter isn't a coward. He faces the people who are attacking him. He doesn't defend himself. Third thing is, Peter doesn't mention this, but I just want to say this for you guys. Is you don't have you don't have to get them to agree with you. You don't have to agree. When people come to my office on Fridays after I've preached on Thursday and tell me that they don't agree with me, you guys know what I say, right? I don't, I, Steve, I don't agree with what you said last night. You know what I say? You don't have to. Well, don't you want to know why? I'm like, no, not really. But if it make you feel better, go and tell me why. And then they say, well, because you said this, this, this is my, and I don't think that that's what the Bible said. I'm like, 
Okay. Thanks for telling me. You guys know what I'm talking about. People expect you to fight back. You don't have to agree. In fact, here's the deal. There are so many variables. Even, you know, I've mentioned the weddings. You know, what, what color to have the, the cake and where to have the groomsmen stand and whether to, where to have the, the mother of bride seated and whether to have communion. You know, there's so many things in every situation where we could have disagreements. We don't have to agree on it all. And we still have a lot of fun together. And we can still get along. And your mom and dad don't agree on everything, even in, 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 the, in the families where your mom and dad have strong relationships. Some things you're going to finally get, the, get other people to agree with you on. Most of the things, they're not going to agree with you. Enjoy life. Let's have coffee. Why worry? Okay. But with that, when I've had parents yelling at me on the phone because something happened to their daughter or son, I'm not defending myself. I'm sure not agreeing with them. But you know what I do do? I just say, what, what can I do to help you? When people are really mad, when there's conflict happen, happening, just ask, what can I do to help you? Usually they say, there's nothing that you can do to help me. I just want to tell you when I'm really, really mad. And they go on for another 15 minutes. And they say, so what would you like me to do? I'm not asking you to do it. <laughs> I, I'm laughing because I've been, it's, it's like next time I just need to record it for you. Okay. And then when they're finally done ranting, say, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for your concern. Now, that takes a lot of grace. But it, it puts water on the fire. Thanks for, thanks for your concern. And mean it. Mean it. They're, they're mad because even though they're not obeying James's advice in James 120 or 120, 17 and 119 about being slow to anger. In their hearts, they're mad because justice hasn't happened. And you just say, thanks. Thanks for caring that much. That's hard. I'm still learning. Okay. What if you're on the other side? Okay, we got three minutes left. What if you're on this, the other side? And you're the person who, who's looking out and seeing a problem you're a small group leader or a coffee shop leader or something. You see somebody who's involved in sin or is messing up, and you feel like, I, gotta, I, I, I have to step in here. What do I do? Okay, let me just get, leave you with a few verses. First of all, Titus 3.10. Titus 3.10 says this. You warn a divisive person once, then you warn them a second time, and then after that you don't have anything to do with them. If there's people who continually refuse to bring unity to the community, and insist on having their way, there's a point where you say, you know what? I think there's a better place for you to hang out than here. I think there's a better place for you to live than in the discipleship house. There's a point, and you warn them. You warn them a couple times, and then you have what Titus 3.10 says is you don't have nothing to do with them. Okay, and then the big one. We'll, we'll skip the other one, but the, the big one is Matthew 18. You guys know Matthew 18, right? Okay, Matthew 18, if you see somebody who's, who's sinning, you go to that person and you say, hey, listen, let's talk. Their motivation is what? Love. It's got to be love. It's got to be care for that person and care for the body of Christ, not self-promotion. Take that person over coffee or over a warm conversation. You say, hey, look, I think, I think something's wrong. Do you think it's really okay? 
for you to be stealing Kevin's milk. I know. Okay. Guys, do you guys, do you guys hear my question? So, guys, here's, here's how I advise you to handle conflict. You ask, do you think it's okay to, and then you present the sin, the sin to them, the wrong to them. Does that make sense? Not like, you ain't with uncircumcised people. No, I think, you know, what James, what I, ho- what I think maybe James and the other apostles learned is to ask, hey, Peter, do you think it's okay for you as a Jewish person who obeys the law to eat with uncircumcised Gentile people? Okay. Do you guys understand? That's why I'm asking you guys to, to deal with, with confrontation. Now, if the guy's like, this is none of your business, get out of here, don't bother me, then what do you do? Look at chapter, chapter again, Matthew 18, verse 15. Guys, this is, this is critical that we get this right. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. So in other words, sometimes he's like, oh, thanks for telling me. I needed, I needed your instruction. But in verse 16, in verse 16, if you will not listen... Take along one or two others. You get Miles and Jessica so that every, every matter can be established by two or three witnesses. Okay, this is what you do. Again, if you guys have been through leadership training, you've already heard this. But you go get Miles and Jessica or Timothy and Zach, and you say, hey, can you do a Matthew 18 deal with me? But you don't gossip. You don't say, can't believe that Everett's been stealing Kevin's milk, and I, he's, been, he's still everybody's milk. Instead, instead, Everett, you go get Miles and Jessica, and you're like, hey, can you do a Matthew 18 with me? They don't know the story. They don't hear one side of the story before they get to hear the other side. They come, you're like, hey, Kevin, come here. Let's talk. The four of them sit down, and, they're in, and Miles is like, okay, what's up? Tell me what's going on. Kevin, and Everett's like, every time I come home, Kevin's get, or was it the way around? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Whatever it was. He's, he's taking my milk every time I come home. Amherst won't take anybody's milk. Okay. What? Okay, you guys understand my, listen, so be careful here, guys. We're almost done. Miles and Jessica do not hear about how bad Kevin or bad, how bad Everett was until Everett is there. You guys with me? That's the way we do this. And if it's done any other way, you're pulling people in and gossiping about them behind somebody else's back, and that's not okay. We don't do that. Okay? So you take two or three along so that every matter may be established. Verse 17. If, are we, is it Kevin or Everett? I can't remember the bad one. Okay. Okay. If Everett refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, here, here, here's the deal, guys. He refu- he's like, I don't care whose milk it is. If I'm thirsty, I'm drinking it. Okay? Hot, hot, what are we supposed to do? We tell it to the church. Does that mean, so what does it mean here? I want you guys to think about what does it mean to tell it to the church? Does that mean we go, like, hear ye, hear ye? What does this look like? Or, or we, got a, we, got a face, we got a Facebook page with all everybody's sins. Like, it's like people who... That's not the way we do it. Okay. In this case, in this case, the church are the people who have influence in Everett's life. 
That means, yeah, you tell Steve. Tell, tell Steve. Tell, his, tell the, the, the guys he's living with at Ohana, hey, Everett's not with it. And then, <laughs> sorry, Everett. And then you treat him, guys, I want you to see this. You treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Okay, how do we treat pagans? We love them. We just don't treat them with fellowship. Okay, because this is the way that we handle conflict. And we're out of time. Okay, Here, here's, here's my question for you guys. Are you willing to handle conflict like this? Are, you, are, are, there, are there situations, conf- conflicting situations in your life right now where you have, where you received a little bit of information but don't know the true story? Are there situations in your life where you're conflicting with people right now, where you've got conflict with people right now, where you're valuing something more than you value Jesus' love for them? Do you have situations right now where you're just, you're, you're, you got conflict because you're just trying to hold on to some control? You're trying to prove that you're, the pr- you're, you're really the, the one in control? And you got situations right now that you are accusing other people. And no matter what they say, you're not willing to listen to them. Okay, guys, if that's the case, then we need to surrender to Jesus. And we need to say, Lord, you're our master, and we forgive all. Whatever anybody's done to us, we forgive them. Remember, again, as I've I've said so many times, we are in the business of forgiveness. That is the basis of what we do. We're not selling coffee. We're not even, our product is not even good Bible studies. Our product is forgiveness. We forgive because we are people who have been forgiven. So we're we're all a part of this. There's not, there's not Steve as the forgiver and everybody else watches. We forgive that whoever sins against us, we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. Okay, guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just, we just want you to keep on teaching us about yourself. And some of the things that we're talking about tonight are hard for us to hear because we've been through so many conflicting situations so we've had so many accusations thrown at us but tonight as a community of people we choose to forgive that we realize that because that even by being in this community by being at the cornerstone as a committed part of the core of the cornerstone that we are people who are in the business of forgiveness and so lord would you help us would you teach us and would you give us grace grace on every person here to be forgiving and to handle conflict well and that we wouldn't be afraid of what people are going to say or what they're going to do, but that we would do the right thing because we love you. So would you bless my friends here tonight? Help us, oh God. May the grace of Jesus be on this community. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.